If you would take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 8. didn't really think about this when I was preparing for this, but how fitting we're talking about the one in whom is the infinite wisdom of God for the new year. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 8, and we're going to start verse 22 three, through the end of the chapter. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was I brought forth. Well, as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and where my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, For blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me watching daily at my gates, wedding at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Tie the message tonight, the delight of everlasting wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. Thank you that for each one that's assembled here tonight, and we pray that you just help us to open our minds and our hearts that we might receive the engrafted word, which can not only save our souls, but Father, give us rest and assurance and confidence in him uh, uh, and for victory in everyday life. So Lord, just help us uh, pray that your spirit would have his will and his way and that the Lord Jesus would be glorified in our midst. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you ever see or experience something which you did not have words to express? You know, I've talked to people that have been to the Grand Canyon and they say it's hard to describe the rugged beauty and the vastness of it. Pictures cannot capture the reality of it. It's just more than one can describe. But how do you describe someone who existed before time? We only understand and comprehend this period we call time. So how can we comprehend And and how can we comprehend the perfect unity and harmony that existed and still exists between the persons of the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, after all, perfect harmony does not exist in this world. Even in the best of relationships, there's not perfect harmony. You know, Amy and I get along, I think, well. But 
we still have disagreements. There's not perfect harmony. She's a human being and I'm a human being. She can be stubborn and so can I. You know, we, we each have a, a will, a self-will that we have to work with and overcome. And so there's not perfect unity in our marriage. But, you know, by most standards in the world, we would say we have unity in our marriage. But there's not, there's not the unity that God, that there is in the Godhead. So how do you describe, again, something that exists, someone that existed before time and someone that who has this perfect unity? You know, and, and we're talking here about the, the everlasting wisdom of God. You know, we looked at chapter 8, of course, this was a couple of weeks ago, where you know, he talks about you know, wisdom crying out, the first part of the chapter, wisdom crying out, and then he says, I wisdom, verse 12. So wisdom is, is personified here. It's a person. It's a person. And, of course, when you get down to verse 22, uh, well, if you read on in the chapter, you're going to have to come to the conclusion that this person is the Lord God. And it's really referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as we think about that tonight, uh, I want to notice several things from this passage. First of all, his essential unity with the Father. We're talking about the person of Christ. His essential unity with, with the Father. In verse 22, he says... The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. Now, the word possess here means to have as belonging to one. So, so he belonged to one. And he says, the Lord possessed me, or I belong to him, or I was one with him is the idea. I was one with him in the beginning of his way. Now, what's the beginning of his way? Well, you know, if we read through the end of the chapter, well, before his works of old, he was there. Um, but, but we see here, he is, he, there is this unity with the Father. You know, Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. Again, he's talking about, and when we're talking about harmony or unity, we're talking about perfect agreement in everything. I and my Father are one. In fact, in John chapter 14, speaking to his disciples, and particularly Philip, uh, he says to them in John 14, 7, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known? What's the next word? me. He doesn't say, not known the Father. Philip asked him to show him the Father. He says, you've been so long with me and you've not known me. See, what he's saying here is, if you've seen me, in fact, he goes on and says, that he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? So, if Philip, I am the perfect demonstration or the, the revelation of the Father. We are the same. We are in complete unity or harmony. Uh, verse 10, he says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father which dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Uh, in John eighteen or John one eighteen, the Bible says that, that Jesus, 
Let me go back there for a minute. John 1.18, it says, uh, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. And the, the word bosom me has the idea of the, 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 between the arms. Uh, it speaks of one who so reclines at a table that his head covers the bosom, as it were, the chest of the one next to him. And, and you remember that John, in John chapter 13... It says that, that he leaned on Jesus' breast at supper. In other words, he was, they, were, you know, they were on couches. They ate on couches. They didn't eat around tables like we do, I don't think. But they ate on couches. Maybe the couches were up tables. I don't know. But he, they were, they, it's a picture of one who is resting, trusting, and relaxed at complete ease in another. Completely comfortable. In agreement with. This speaks of the closest and most intimate relation with the Father that Jesus had. He was in the bosom of the Father, is how the Bible describes it. You know, it's, it's the best way we can understand it in, in language. Uh, it's, you know, picture a little child, if you will, resting comfortably against the bosom of its mother or its father. They don't have a worry in the world, and they're completely at ease there and confident that they are safe and okay. At rest, at ease. And that's the picture that Jesus was, that he is with the Father. You know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit had, were, and are in a complete unity in knowledge and in the workings in the universe. You know, John, or uh, not John 1 1, Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word, or the name God there is in the Hebrew, Elohim, and it speaks of plurality in unity. It's a plural name. And it's described, in fact, uh, uh, Herbert Lockyer described it in his book, it fittingly describes God and the unity of his divine personality and power. The name is in the plural and is a foregleam of the Trinity acting in unity. God, plural, said, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. So what was involved in, may, in the creation was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. They are in complete agreement and harmony. You know, John, Jesus said in John eight twenty nine, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not let me alone, for I do always those things that please him. You know, Jesus has always been in complete unity with his Father. And always will be. So we see his essential unity with the Father. We also see his eternal existence. Notice again verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Before his works was old, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. So he was in the beginning of his way or the ways of God. He was before the works of old. So he was before the works of creation. If we read down on down through, verse 24 says, When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding in water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, 
when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he pointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. So, so you know, this speaks that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. His existence is eternal. He's always been with the Father. So before anything came into existence that we know, he was. He was there. That's the idea. He was there. You know, Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now, some people say I'm old. I know that my hair is gray. It used to be red. But I'm only 57. Now, to me, that's old. To some of you, that's old. But I'll never be able to say, even I'm 80, if I live that long, that I am from everlasting. Because I'm not. I had a beginning. But the Bible says here that this, this one, speaking of Christ, is from everlasting. Isaiah 9, 6, under us a child is born, under us a son is given. So the son wasn't born, the son was given, I mentioned that the other week. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Revelation 1.8, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come. The Almighty. You see, the Lord transcends all time. John 8, 58, he said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what does I am mean? Well, it's described in in, the Blue Letter Bible as to be, to exist, to happen, to be present. Now, let me give you that in common man's, my terms. I always was, I always is, I always will be. That's what I am means. I always was, I always is, and I always will be. Now, that may not be good English, but it makes good sense to me. That's who Christ is. See, he always was. He will always is. He's always present. I mean, when he was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, he's everywhere present. And he always will be. You know, you can disregard the Son of God, which is the Word of God, but in judgment you will have to answer or face him because he always is. Always is. That will never change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, some people like to say that the God of the Old Testament isn't the same as God of the New Testament. Do you know that Jesus was the God of the Old Testament? He was the captain that appeared to Joshua in, in Joshua chapter 5. He was the rock. 1 Corinthians 10 that we looked at last week says, that rock that followed them was Christ. He was the rock from which they drank in the wilderness. 
See, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal Son of God to whom all judgment has been committed, and his law book is the Word of God. His law book is the Word of God. You know, Genesis, or not Genesis, Revelation 19, 14, and 15 says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And there's a verse I missed there. Um, anyway, uh, one of those verses in there, maybe I should turn back to it, because I thought I had printed it out, but it isn't. But his name, I think it's verse 16, says his name is called the Word of God. I don't want to misquote here. Uh, verse 13 says, And he was clothed of vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So he is the word of God, and, and he's going he's gonna, to, he, he's gonna, with his mouth, go with a sharp sword. I believe that sword is the word of God. It's a sword. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, he created the world and man with his word. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand the worlds are framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So he spoke the world into existence, and he will judge the world with his word. John twelve forty six through 50. And again, this, this demonstrates also the unity between him and his father. Uh, in John 12, verses 46 through 50, he says, And he that seeth me... Seeth him that sent me, I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He didn't come the first time to judge the world. He came the first time to save the world, to die. But the second time he's coming, he is coming to judge the world. Then he says in verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me hath given me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So we see here that he, you know, he is eternal and you know, he... he brought the world into existence through his word, and he's going to judge the world by his word. And, you know, there, there'll be no, no escape from the eternal Son of God. You know, he, he, he brings this out in, here in Proverbs chapter 8 as well, in verse 32, where he says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and they that hate me love death. So there be no escape from the eternal Son of God. For he is eternal. He always is. But I want you to notice the third thing. He had a his eternal purpose. Notice in verse 23 of Proverbs 8. It says, I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. 
Now, the words set up. Yeah, when we say he was set up, does that sound like a good thing to you? Now, to set up means to really he's been arranged. You know, the connotation that we have today is if somebody has been set up, they've been, they've been, they've been put in a position where they're going to be snared. They're going to be caught. You know, uh, a snare has been set for them. But the word, and, and it's similar here, but, but it's not in a bad sense. It means to be poured out or anointed. And really that's what an anointing is. Uh, to anoint means to pour out, means to transfer, transfer or dedicate to the service of God. You know, if we, if we have a, uh, an ordination service, what we're doing is we're transferring the authority of a church to another to go preach the gospel. Really, in a sense, we're anointing them and giving them the authority as a church uh, to go and to another place, like we did to Francis, to preach the gospel. And so he says, he, he, he has, uh, he, I was, notice, he says, I was set up, or we could say, I was anointed from everlasting. In other words, he was anointed, or he was set up from everlasting as a sacrifice for sin. So before, before God ever made the first part of creation made and, and separated light from darkness, Christ was already set up to be a sacrifice for sin. Remember, we're talking about God that knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. And he was set up, remember last thing, as a sacrifice for sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. You see, he was foreordained, or he was predetermined before the world was, uh, was set up, that he would be, that he would offer his blood for the remission of our sins. Again, God, who transcends all time and has all knowledge, knows the end from the beginning. And the unity here in this is that this was in complete agreement with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Revelation 13.8 also says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, talking about the Antichrist, whose names are not written in the book of the life of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So again, it speaks of Christ as a Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, from the beginning of time, or before time. So he was an anointed from everlasting. There was a harmony and unity in the Godhead that Christ would be the sacrifice for sin before time began. Again, God transcends all time. So he knows all things. And if that isn't enough to boggle your mind, it was his delight be that sacrifice. 
Notice verse 31. Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. You see, it was the delight. The word delight means take pleasure in. It was the pleasure of the Lord that he would be the one that would bring about, that would satisfy the righteousness of a holy God, that it would appease the wrath of God forever against those that repent and trust in him. You know, Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased, pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The crucifixion doesn't look like something pleasurable to us. But it pleased the Lord. Now, I used to think, well, it just pleased the Father. No, it pleased the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the Son to be the offering, the sacrifice for our sin. They were in agreement with this. It was their delight. It was His delight. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But why? Why would he? There's a song in our hymn book. Why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why, tell me why, was he there? Jesus, the helper, the healer, the friend, why, tell me why, was he there? All my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt of my sin fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. Why should he love me, a sinner undone? Why, tell me, why should he care? I do not merit the love he has shown. Why, tell me, why should he care? Why should I linger afar from his love? Why, tell me, why should I fear? Somehow I know I should venture and prove. Why, tell me, why should I fear? All my iniquities on him were laid. Why? Well, verse 31 tells us, Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Man whom God, he created, in his image, is his delight. Now, Jeremiah 31.20 says this, Is he from my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. You know, the Lord spoke against him, but his bowels yearn for him. Yeah, and, we, and when we receive the truth, we find mercy. And God wants us to offer, his, uh, to offer his mercy to us. He wants to give us his mercy, but we have to receive the truth. And so he says, is he from my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? My bowels are troubled or yearn for him. You know, picture, if you will. Trying to, trying to illustrate this, that God delights in his creation, or is his, in mankind. In 1 Corinthians 3, you remember 
the two women that came to Solomon, the harlots. And one had overlaid her child, and the other, and, and then the one that overlaid her child got up in the middle of the night and took from the other one the live baby and said it was hers, and the dead baby was the one whose the live baby really was. So they came to Solomon with this issue and said, you know, you know, she says, and Solomon said, so you say this is yours, and you say this is yours. And so he says, bring me a sword. He said, divide the child, the living child. But the mother, it says her, her, her uh, bowels yearned. You see, it's natural for a mother to yearn, to care, to, to, to have feelings for her child, a protection. And, and sh- rather than, than, than not have a child, rather than share a child, a half of it with somebody else, she would say, give it to her and let it live. And we are. You know, Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own prophets have said, we are also his offspring. You see, we are his special creation. We are not superior animals. We're not just a grade higher than animals. We have no relation with animals. You may have feelings for animals, but we have no relation or no likeness really to animals in the mind of God. Now, God does care for the animals too. Righteous man careth for his beast, the Bible says. But we are not on the same level. You see, we are a special creation. We are created in the likeness of God. We have a capacity of reason. We have a spirit that can relate to God. We have a free will, which is the power of choice. We're free to stand or fall. Choose right or choose wrong. Animals don't have that. Only those made in the image of God have that. And God made us in his image, in his likeness. And so we are a special creation to him. And the fact that we have a free will makes it even more glorious that some men of their own free will would submit to the righteousness of God through repentance and faith. You know, one commentator said this, quote, This habitable earth was the grand theater of the work that should fill the whole creation with wonder and joy. And again, we're talking about God becoming a man as a sacrifice for our sin. It will bring wonder and joy to the whole world. Isaiah 44, 23 says, Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, and O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. You know, Luke 2, 10, 11 says, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The Bible tells us, Luke, that there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. And here, and at the resurrection of Christ, the serpent's head was bruised. Satan was robbed of his power, the power of death. Death hath no more dominion over us. And, And even though that he knew from eternity past that he would be despised and rejected of men and put to the cruelest of shame, 
yet they were the objects of his everlasting love. For our sakes, he made humanity a temple of deity. He exchanged the throne of glory for an accursed cross, the worship of seraphim for the scorn and buffeting of men, inexpressible joy with the Father for unknown sorrow. Only the strength of divine love could have brought him forth from the delight of his Father to to suffer such things for sinners. Because he said, his, my delights is with the sons of men. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory. You know, to bring into glory means to bring to an exalted state, a state of majesty. You see, this was the joy that was set before him, that Hebrews 12, 2 talks about. You know, there are manifestations of his joy and glory all over the world. We have one right here tonight. People that have been saved by the grace of God and glorify him with their lives. That brings glory. And here's the greatest part about it. They do it of their own free will. See, if you were in a Muslim country, you would convert by the force of the sword. But see, we're not supposed to coerce anybody into the Christian faith. Jesus never pressured anybody. The rich young ruler, he simply told him the truth. And he went away sorrowful. The Bible says Jesus loved him. Then he said how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He wasn't going to try and convince him against his will. Because one convinced against his will is unconvinced still. You know, there are those all over the world. There are some who are willing to, that are willing to bear his reproach, suffering without the camp, if you will. Hated by the world, lightly esteemed. Some are being tortured or martyred even in this day. And this they do of their own free will. Just read today, a pastor in China, very well known, made some statements what he said was that communism and Christianity are not compatible. It's true. He was arrested just recently, committed to nine years in the labor camps. He said that of his own choice. He, so he really, he is a prisoner of his own Choosing. You see, he is willing to bear the reproach of Christ and thereby glorifying Christ. He is demonstrating that man, by his own free will, will serve God. You know, that's one of the accusations that God brought, or the, the Satan brought against uh, the Lord concerning Job. 
If you let me touch him, he'll curse you to your face. God said, go ahead. Just don't take his life. And Job never did curse God. You know, for trusting him and serving him is a choice. Notice verses 32 through 36 again. It says, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear my instruction and be wise, and refuse it not. So, you know, again, we have a choice. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. This is, this, this is really the hearing of faith. You know, Jesus said in John five twenty five, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear his voice. Hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now, when he was saying the dead, he wasn't talking about those in the grave. Now, I want you to read this, listen to this verse again. The hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Who's speaking? The Son of God. And they that hear shall live. You know, dead really means separated from God. That's what death in the Bible means, separated from God. There were people walking and listening to him that were dead, spiritually dead. They were separated from God. And he's saying, those that hear my voice by faith will be obedient to what they hear will have life. They'll live. See, this is he- this, and this is hearing that results in life that, is, that brings about doing. This is what we call genuine faith. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, this is, and this is everyday faith. Verse 34 says, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my, of my doors. You know, a Christian is a person who has the life of God, and that life of God encompasses every part of their life, every part of their being. It affects it. It transforms it. It gives it purpose and meaning. You know, James 1, 22-26 says, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So what he's saying is, we need to be a doer of the word, and not just hearers. If we're hearers, we're vain. You know, a, a, a doer is one that, like, he gets up in the morning, he looks in the mirror, and he says, oh my, i got to do something about what I see. My hair's disheveled. My teeth are dirty. Uh, my face is dirty. I need to get the, 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 the stuff out of my eyes, you know, because there's stuff in the corner of my eyes that has washed out during the night, and so I need to clean my face up. But one that is just a hearer looks at himself and forgets about it and goes away. No change. You know, that's what the, that's what, that's dead faith. Faith that works. You see, the life of God that, you know, Christ, the Bible says in Colossians 3, that Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall you also appear with him in glory. 
Christ who is our light. He is, he ought to be, he is to be the driver of our life. You know, I'm sure you've seen the, the stickers, God is my co-pilot. If he's just your co-pilot, he's not your Lord. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, The love of Christ constraineth us. In other words, it's what compels me. It's what drives my life. It's what gives me purpose in life. And Paul wasn't saying that. He didn't say that the love of Christ constraineth me. It isn't just for the preacher or the Apostle Paul. He says the love of Christ constraineth us. It's for all you Corinthian believers, too. You see, Christ, the wisdom of God, in perfect unity with the Father, was set up from everlasting to be a sacrifice for our sin. The Eternal One became a man that He would pay the penalty for our sin that we could have fellowship and a relationship with Him and be a delight with Him and bring glory to Him. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 8 said, All the wisdom of God that passeth knowledge. But it requires faith. It requires a response from us. And so the question is, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have believing faith? Or devilish faith? You know what devilish faith is? Well, you know about it, but that's as far as it goes. Devils believe and tremble. In other words, they know. A lot of people in the world have knowledge. I remember talking to the milkman, the guy that picked up our milk on the farm years ago. And he said, yeah, I believe, I believe in Jesus, and I know that he's coming again. He, he knew all about that. That was as far as it went. He wasn't trusting, dependent upon. He had put his faith in him as his Lord and Savior. He just knew about it. See, genuine faith is again shown, as the Bible declares, shown by our good works which men shall behold and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so, the delight of everlasting wisdom, he delighted in us and offers to us the gift of eternal salvation from the eternal Son who gives us eternal life. And this doesn't just come from Jesus. It comes from the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit because they were united in an agreement that the Son would give his life save us from our sins are you in him tonight let's pray Heavenly Father we do thank you again for the time in your word thank you for the truth and the privilege and opportunity we have to understand your word.
And Lord, I pray that you help us to realize the wisdom of God and the plan of God that you weren't taken by surprise. It wasn't an afterthought that Jesus Christ would give his life as a ransom for sin. It was foreordained. You knew from the foundation of the world that man would sin, yet you allowed him. You gave him a free will. Father, I pray that you'd help us to each to exercise our free will, to choose life, and then to choose daily to follow you, to obey you, to bring our bodies into subjection that they might glorify and honor our Lord who gave his life for us. And we're careful to thank you and praise you. We pray you in Jesus' name. Amen.